I want to begin this morning with a question. Are you a fan of something? You know, when we think about fans, we think about somebody who follows a team. So we live in Stillwater. We have Oklahoma State University, and we, we like to cheer for the Cowboys, and we like to follow and be fans of, of our team. And when things are going well, you know, the stands are full. And it's easy to cheer and to be a fan of Oklahoma State University when things are good. But when OU beats us, then things get bad, and maybe the fans aren't quite as fanatical as maybe they once were. But you know, when we play badly and we lose, fans stop attending. And the, the fans just aren't there. Fans are few, support is little, you know, revenue drops off for the athletic department and, and uh, times get hard and people just lose interest. This morning for a little bit, I want to turn this on first, I believe Zane told me. I want to talk about, are you a fan or a follower of Jesus? In John chapter 12, verse 26, he says, If anyone serves me, let him follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, him my father will honor. You know, a lot of times it's easy to be a fan. It's a little bit harder to be a follower. There was a fan that's recorded in Scripture. In Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 54, the story of Peter and denying his Lord. Now, from all we've read from Scripture before, Peter was a pretty good follower. In fact, Jesus asked, he told Jesus, says, you have the words to eternal life. And if we follow anybody else, we don't have that. But now when Jesus is taken to be tried and crucified, and Peter goes off, and look what happens. He says, he followed at a distance. He denied him. He says, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what you're saying. I don't know this Jesus. And he remembered the words that Jesus said, and he went out and wept bitterly. Now you think about what Peter did. When Jesus was arrested and got into trouble... Uh, Peter decided he wasn't much of a follower anymore. Maybe even wasn't much of a fan. In fact, it looked like his team had lost. His team had been dismantled, so, you know, there's not much to cheer for anymore. When Team Jesus lost, and I'm off of this team. I'm done. He certainly wasn't going to put his life on the line for what seemed to be a losing cause. But to Peter's credit, he finally, after the resurrection of Christ, became the type of follower that the Lord wanted him to be and gave everything for Jesus. And I want you to think about the question, are you a fan or are you a follower? How much of Jesus Christ is a part of our everyday life? It's easy to be a fan on Sunday mornings. When the church gathers together, is he a Sunday Jesus to you? 
Is, does he play a part in the decisions of your life? Is he com- are you committed to him in following, whether the team is winning or not? What is a follower? We talked about a fan, but what's a follower? That's the important question, isn't it? Jesus told us, and we just read this a minute ago, didn't we? In Facebook 12, 26, if anyone serves me, let him like me on Facebook. And where I am, you can post comments and share memes. If anyone serves me, he will not scroll past this post. It's easy to be a fan on Facebook, isn't it? It certainly is. You know, I've liked a lot of pages on Facebook. Pages about history, pages about this, pages about that. And you know what? Very rarely do I go back and look at those pages. Sometimes I do. I just liked it. Yeah, I like that. Today, a lot of people like Jesus. Yeah, he was a great man. A wonderful teacher. A great moral man. He fought for social justice is a popular line that we see today. And I don't know if that's necessarily true or not, but that's count on the narrative that's out there. He loved the poor. Jesus is an easy guy to like. Just easy to hit that like button, isn't it? But are we a a follower? Jesus calls for followers. We read this earlier in John chapter 12, verse 26. If anyone serves me, let him follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also, if anyone serves me, my Father will honor him. Jesus calls for followers. He doesn't call for fans. He doesn't call for likes. Jesus calls then, and he continues to call now. And for, for those of us who have agreed to this relationship, you know, when Jesus Christ washed our sins away, we entered into a a covenant agreement with him. Jesus, you washed my sins away. Jesus, I'll follow you. Consider Matthew chapter 10, verse 25. He says that if it is enough for a disciple to be like his teacher and a servant to be like his master. So if Jesus has washed our sins away, what's the implications for us in terms of our relationship with him. You know, as people came into the church, Paul worked with them to see that Christ would be formed in those new converts and into the people of the church. Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 13 through 15, he says, Till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man or a complete man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children, tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, that is Christ. Paul wanted the people to grow up in Christ. And then he put it this way in Galatians chapter 4, verse 19. He says, 
My little children for whom I have labored in birth again until Christ is formed in you. To me, that's much more than just being a fan. I'm a fan of, of a lot of things. I'm an admitted Dallas Cowboy fan. I'm interested in them when they're doing well. When they lose, I'm not so much. So, to put it uh, lightheartedly, the Dallas Cowboys is not being formed in me. Same thing with Christ. It's Christ being formed in you. We should be trying to grow up in Christ. You know, we joke about not growing up. We want to stay a kid forever and do all those fun things. And sometimes we even use that excuse or use that reason to excuse our childish behavior. I've done that before. I'm just still a kid. But in our Christian life, it's no joking matter. We have to be grown up. We have to have Christ formed in us. As we said about this relationship, when we were baptized into Christ, we made the agreement. We were bought with a price, 1 Corinthians 7, verse 23. You were bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. He purchased us. We're to surrender to righteousness, as Paul tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 13. So we start to serve different things. We surrender to different things. He says that old man is crucified, it's done away with, and now, now we have a new life in Christ. That's the agreement. You can either accept it or you can just walk away. It's your choice. But that's the agreement. And the things that are not Christ-like, they need to be crucified, as Paul told us in Galatians chapter 2. Romans chapter 8, starting at verse 28, it says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Now notice that. Called according to his purpose. For whom he... For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be firstborn among the brethren. It has always been God's plan for us to be conformed to the image of Christ. That's, he said he foreknew. That was his person. That was his purpose. We are predestined. That's what it needs to be if we follow Christ. We are conformed to him. This is the agreement. This is what we have to do. 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that are in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. None of these things are of the Father. And if we claim to be Christians, we claim to be Christ-like, and we claim to be formed to Christ, then none of these need to be in our life. So the challenge before us is that we follow Christ in a world that doesn't. We are followers of a, of a world that maybe likes Christ, or maybe that is a fan of Christ, but we as his children are followers of Christ. Nothing more, nothing less. What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? I want to look at four things for us this morning 
on characteristics that we, I think, are important for us in being a follower of Jesus Christ. First one, Jesus was pure. Jesus was pure. We think about the sinless Son of God. The heart and the mind of Jesus was pure, so his life was pure, that being the Son of God. First Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 19, he says, Knowing that you were redeemed, that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, like silver and gold from the aimless conduct received by the tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. Scripture also records in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, and you know that he was manifested to take away our sins, and in him there is no sin. That's a pretty well-established fact, I believe, that Christ was sinless. He was pure. What about us? If we're conformed to his image, what's the purity like in our life? Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23, he says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of, this, for out of it spring the issues of life. So issues literally means source. So really, everything that comes from us is, comes from our heart. What we think comes from our heart. What we say comes from our heart the person who we are. And when you think of pure, what do you think of? Probably a lot of us may recognize this old commercial, the old Dove commercial, and its whole shtick was, it was 99 and 44, 100% pure. And so that was supposed to be a big deal. 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent pure. But, you know, if I had a glass of water, and I had the, and it was full of water, and I handed it to David, and I said, David, this is pure water, but oh, by the way, there's just a tiny bit of strychnine in there. But, hey, it's 99 and 44 one-hundredths percent pure, so I don't think you have too much to worry about. But Jesus was pure. And when we go to drink something, we want it to be pure. We purely means contains nothing or that does not belong. That strychnine shouldn't be in that water that I hand David. That water needs to be pure. So when we take that drink, this is not what we want to drink. And when we think of impurity, I mean, I'm turned off by that. It's got stuff in there floating around. I don't want, I don't want to drink. When I had young kids, I didn't want to drink after them. They had too much backwash in there. I did not want any part of that. It just wasn't pure. So if a lie comes out of our mouth, what does that say about our heart? If lust comes through our thoughts, what does that say about our heart? And if those things are in there, what are they doing there? 
David said in Psalms chapter 51, verses 10 through 13, he says, Create in me a new heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me by your generous spirit. Then will I teach transgressors your ways and sinners shall be converted to you. David wanted that clean heart. He understood the impurity a lot more vividly after his sin with Bathsheba. And he understood that this is not right. He said, Father, give me that clean heart. I want that clean heart. And he says, when that happens, the joy of your salvation will be in me. And he says, not only that, he says, and sinners will be converted to you. I will teach transgressors their way. It's hard to be a Christ-like influence. It's hard to be a teacher for Christ when sin is prevailing in our hearts. We're not effective at all. Hard to lead someone to Christ when our heart and deeds are not pure. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15, the scripture talks about Jesus being tempted. He says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but in all points we're tempted as we are yet without sin. Jesus was tempted just like we're tempted, but he had no space in his heart to give into that temptation. Those temptations could not take root, they could not take hold, and so in his heart they could not bear fruit. It's hard to be sinless. In fact, it's impossible for us. But we can certainly till the ground of that heart and get rid of those weeds, get rid of that stuff that shouldn't be there, and make our hearts more pure before Christ. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And if we have impure things in our heart that do not belong there, how did they get there, and what are we going to do about it to get rid of them? You know, it's easy to open our hearts to things that are not good. It's easy. There's lots of stuff out there that's easy to give in to. I'll I'll grant you that. I've been there and done that. But we need to close our heart to those things to keep it pure. David said in Psalms chapter 51 verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop. Clint and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Now when you think about purge, what do you think about? Well, I think about throwing up. And that's really kind of what the word is alluding to. You think about purging your system, getting rid of that stuff out of your body that's making us sick. That's what we need to do. We need to purge ourselves of the things that would cause us to sin. You know the word hyssop, you remember the crucifixion of Jesus, they, they took hyssop with that, that vinegar a sponge and they put it on that house up and held it up to him so he could uh, drink from that. They used hyssop when the children of Israel left uh, Egypt and when uh, 
the Lord God struck the firstborn dead and they used hyssop to paint that blood above the doorposts of their house. So this whole imagery of using something to purge, to get rid of. Our sins are purged, not by hyssop, but by the blood of Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3, he says, Who being in the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's important that we be pure. Are you a fan of purity? Are you a follower of purity? Second point, Jesus was trusting. Jesus was trusting. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. It says, For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor deceit was found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile again in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten but committed himself to him who judges righteously. What did Christ do? He committed. He committed himself to the plan. His trust was in the Father. And it's a plan that's not easily understood, is it? Why is there blood? Why is there a sacrifice? Why why this? Why that? Jesus committed himself to that plan that the Father had. Jesus said in John chapter 5, verse 30, I can of myself do nothing as I hear my judge, and judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will. But who does he seek the will of? The will of his Father. Jesus placed his trust in God's plan and not his own. Even in the Garden of Gethsemane, where He wanted that cup, that cup of suffering to pass from him. He says, and he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. But what? Not as I will, but as you will. Is that not trust? He put his trust in the father that he would supply all that he needed that he would be committed to the plan and things would work out. How much is our trust? I think you can measure, measure your trust and you'll find your commitment. So we're thinking about commitment and trust along the same lines. How easy is it to trust God's word? This is a hard one to trust. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. It's a lot easier to hate. It's a lot easier to put somebody in the lights. It's a lot easier to get even, to get revenge. That's the easy thing to do. I can like this all day long. Find this Facebook page, I'll like it. That I can just do what I want to to my enemies, I can get back at them, you bet. I'm I'm all for that. Jesus tells us to love our enemies. But it's so easy to hate. 
It's so easy to get revenge. That's the easy thing to do. Are we committed to this? Do we trust what God tells us that this is the plan? This is the plan. You know, drugs and alcohol is a big problem. It's a big problem outside of the church and it can be a problem in the church. People struggle with that. Alcoholic drink, it's easy to come by. It's fun to party. We live in a town where there's a lot of partying that goes on. A lot of alcoholic drink is consumed. A lot of drunkenness takes place because that's the college experience that we hear about. Easy to do. I'm sure it's just as easy in Wheeler, Texas. It's easy to cross the line of sober to being not sober. But notice what Paul says. He says, therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So this is what the Lord wants me to do. Do I trust this? He says, and do not be drunk with wine, which is in dissipation, but filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. But there's just one corner of my heart that wants to do this that wants to participate in those things so we don't trust. So we give in to hate. We give in to drunkenness. We give in to name any other sin that we feel that we need to participate in. What's our level of trust and commitment to him? David tells us in Psalms 118 verse 8, it says, it is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Are we a fan of trusting and being committed to Christ or are we a follower? Third thing, Jesus was focused. How easily are we distracted by the things of this life and lose our focus? The distractions we have are overwhelming. Literally are overwhelming. Family, work, activities, school, boyfriends, girlfriends, making a career, just all sorts of stuff. And our lives are filled with demands from each side of us day by day, every day. And it's easy to be distracted. But being distracted can have deadly results. But Jesus knew his, his mission. In John chapter 6, verse 38, it says, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of, of the Father who sent me. This was his mission. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, Or the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that was lost. Nothing distracted Christ from that because he knew at the end of his life was a cross. He gave his life. Nothing distracted him from that mission. You might say he had tunnel vision. He certainly did. Often our tunnel vision is focused on the wrong things, it's focused on career, family, fun, and the most deadly one of all, me. 
Focus on me. It's what I want to do. And distractions are deadly. Just takes a split second. Many of you may know Sister Michelle McGuffin from the uh, congregation in Stratford. She recently had a, a, a pretty serious auto accident. And you know what her distraction was? <clears throat> her phone fell down. She reached down to pick it up and turned the wheel. A two-second distraction almost cost her her life. We need to have tunnel vision on the road. And people say, I, I honked at you on the road. I waved at you on the road. I said, I'm sorry. I'm just trying to focus in. You didn't see me. No, I was looking at the guy in front of me. What's our focus in life? You know, Christ, his mission is our mission today. He's gone. We've sang the old song, and some of you remember, Christ has no hands but our hands to do his will today. We read the scripture, seek and save the lost. Certainly Christ gave his life that that purpose could be accomplished. Who's seeking now? Who's seeking now? Christ's mission is our mission. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, it says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ. So this should get our attention. Let this mind be in you that was in Christ, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. This was his mission. And Paul says, you have the same mind. What's our mind? We're a servant. We're humble. We're obedient. Even to the point of death. Whether that obedience causes our death or we die of natural causes, whatever the case is, we're obedient. We're humble. We're serving. We seek. Are we focused like Christ? Are we a fan of being focused? Or are we a follower of being focused like Christ? Finally this morning, Jesus was spiritual. What does that mean, Jesus was spiritual? What are you talking about? Well, it's pretty easy. Simply seeking to be close to God and developing a close relationship with God. Think of it this way. <clears throat> when you keep God at arm's length or you keep him away, how do you feel about conforming to God's will? You know, people have left the church and the further they get away from the church, the less they are likely to be conformed to God's will. And when we keep God at arm's length, we, we just really don't feel like conforming to God's will, do we? We just don't feel very spiritual, do we? No, because we're keeping him away. We're not developing the relationship which we should have with our Lord. Jesus was close to his Father. 
He said, believe in me that I am in the Father and the Father in me, or else believe me for the sake of the works themselves. Jesus was close to his Father. Perhaps in a relationship we can't understand, but he was close to his Father. We need to cultivate this closeness. What are some things that Jesus did? We find in Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, some of the characteristics of Jesus. He says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region, and taught, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. So he came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as his custom was, notice this, as his custom was, he went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. On the Sabbath day, where was Jesus? Was he out on the banks of the Galilee fishing? Nope. He was right where he needed to be. He was in the synagogue worshiping his father and studying the word. We need to be that type of follower. We need to be with our church. You know, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 12 presents us a problem. He says, brethren, lest there be, or beware, brethren, lest there be any of you an evil heart of unbelief departing from the living God. It's a heart condition that's going to make us depart from the living God. He said it's an evil heart that does this. We don't want to be departing from the living God. Again, we go back to looking at our heart, examining our heart. Where, what are we close to? What's important to us? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another so much as you more you see the day approaching. So Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 told us the problem. It's a heart that's departing from the living God. And then Paul gives us the answer. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Assembling, being close together, exhorting one another, loving one another. And you do it more and more. We need to be developing relationships. And encouraging and helping and edifying one another. And we can do that in the assembly of the church. Don't forsake the assembling. Be there, be encouraged, be edified. Jesus tells us that we're sanctified by his word. John chapter 17, verse 17, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So sanctification means a separation. So Jesus says, sanctify them or separate them by your truth. Your word is truth. What does the word do? The word separates us from the world so that we might be closer to God. That's what the Word does. So logically, a separation from the Word is going to be a separation from God. The more you separate yourself from the Word, from the church, from brothers and sisters, then that's going to be a separation from God. Be close to God. Develop those relationships to develop that, uh, that uh, closeness that you have, that you need with God.
Jesus also prayed before a difficult situation. He was very close to his father then. Luke chapter 20, verses 40 through 44. He says, and when he came to that place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And it was drawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthened him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Prayer can help. Prayer is a closeness with your God. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Paul told us, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. Just as Jesus prayed in difficult situations, and really in all situations, we are to pray also. Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7, Casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. There are many different ways to develop a closeness and a relationship with God, but you have to do it. The more you hold God's at arm length, the less of a relationship that you'll have. Be spiritual. Be spirit-minded. Be close to God and to your brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we, fan, are we a fan of being spiritual? Or are we a follower of being spiritual? You know, we follow Jesus for one reason. And Peter knew that reason. We alluded to this earlier. But in John chapter, 60, John chapter 6, verse 66, he says, For that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him and said, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Also we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know, really at this point, Peter was just hitting the like button. Now he speaks great truths here. But there was, came a point in his life that he truly became just a fan and not a follower. And followers are more than fans. Followers is more than, yeah, just Jesus is a great guy. I like his teaching, but insert your excuse there. We follow Jesus for one reason, because he has eternal life. Are you following Jesus today? You know, all this information this morning is good probably shaking your head yes I, I, yeah that's true it's easy to hit the like button I hope you hit the like button on my sermon this morning it's easy to do that we have the information do we have the transformation that's what Christ wants in us that's what Paul wrote about until Christ be formed in you I encourage you this morning, don't be a fan. Be a follower of Jesus Christ. Commit yourself wholly to him that Christ may be formed in you, that you can better serve him, that you can better tell others about Christ, that you can be a better servant for this church, for your family, and for your fellow man. Follow Jesus today.
Thank you for listening to today's sermon podcast. If you'd like to know more about this subject or any other Bible topic, send us a message at our Facebook page, The Church of Christ, Wheeler Area.